This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles. Would you turn with me to Galatians? Galatians chapter 3. As pastors, we want to see God continue to work. And after a week like we just had, that's my burden this morning. That we continue to see the mighty hand of God move in our midst. It's not an emotion, it's not a feeling. But when you're right with God, you have feelings. You do. We know what peace is, in fact, peace that passes all understanding, and you can feel peace, right? Uh, You can sense the presence of the Lord and spiritual satisfaction. You can feel that too. You also can feel the emptiness of going to broken cisterns and trying to be satisfied with anything else but the Lord, and you will know thirst. But good feelings are the right result of right actions, and right actions are the result of right thinking. Right thinking, right actions, good feelings. And... I want us to really focus on what needs to happen in our hearts so that we can maintain our relationship with the Lord, living in His favorable presence so that we do know the love and the joy and the peace that comes from the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we're yielded to our God. Now, one of the things that is probable not just possible, but probable after a week like this. Uh, Something that threatens, challenges our walk with the Lord, challenges or threatens to discourage us, is the fact that others in our lives are going to influence, do things that can bring us down if we let that happen. All right? Others, their attitudes, their actions can discourage. Uh, You young people, your parents can discourage you. Scripture warns about that. Uh, You parents, your children can discourage you. Your adult children can discourage you. Fellow believers can discourage you. The Lord warns us, and there are many applications, but to him that thinketh he standeth. All right, I'm on a mountaintop. This has, been, this has been great. Beware. For every Mount Carmel, you can come down the other side of that, and there's, there may be a Jezebel out there forming a letter with your name on it. Okay? And so... We want to, uh, the Lord has led me this morning to consider these truths 
in light of the series that we've been in on faith journey and the fact that God first in that journey brings us to a place of brokenness where we depend upon him. Uh, it was interesting, Brother Barker prayed this morning and talked about God's humbling. That's part of the breaking process. Where God, God allows us to be humbled so that we look to Him. Stop looking to ourselves. So God gave us a special week. He taught us much more about our lives in Christ. But did you know that there is a direct link between Israel's journey and ours? And again, we need to be reminded of that. I don't want you to think I'm just extrapolating things out of the Old Testament to try to make them fit with something. No, the Scripture clearly teaches that all Scripture is profitable, including Israel coming out of Egypt, the wilderness journey, entering the promised land, because all that is a picture of our life now in Christ, what he did for us. And to prove that, look at Galatians chapter 3. Notice verse 26. Galatians 3 verse 26. Ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer this morning, if your sins are forgiven, you're on your way to heaven, it's because there was a day when God brought conviction into your life, drew you to himself, and by faith you receive Christ as Savior. All right, verse 27. For as many as you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Our evangelist talked about the fact that at the moment we're saved, the Holy Spirit takes us, and he plunges us into, he places us into, immerses us into the body of Christ. That's wonderful. So he places us there, the spirit of Christ indwells us, and now we have eternal life. Not just the hope of heaven, but literally we have eternal resurrection life living in us, who is the person of Jesus Christ. Now watch what happens, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And then verse 29 gives us a little hint of what, what I've, I've referenced in relation to Israel. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, the promise is God promised Abraham through you all nations of the earth would be blessed. That is nothing but a prediction of through Abraham Messiah would come and bring redemption. Okay? But how did Abraham please God, know God? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for what? Righteousness. You're going to you're going to get to talk with Abraham in heaven. In fact, in an eternity, you're going to get to have long talks with Abraham in heaven. I can't wait. But he's in heaven because in faith he believed God. All right? So, there's this reference here to Abraham. Now turn over with me to 1 Corinthians 10. 
And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul will take this same idea and he'll develop it even more. And here's what he says in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not have ye be ignorant. Now remember, he's writing to Gentiles. How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now he's, again, he's writing to Gentiles. What sea is he referencing? It is the Red Sea. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. I love this. The Red Sea is a picture, God bringing us away from the world, away from sin, plunging us into that sea, okay? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, but us going into that sea, being delivered, by the way, that's what happened with that sea. But notice what that is a picture of, verse 3, And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock, capital R, that followed them, and that rock was who? When you read the Old Testament account of what God did with Israel, bringing them out of Egypt, Red Sea, wilderness, remember that pillar of cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night? Do you know who that was? It was Christ. And oh, by the way, when they cross the Jordan and then get into Canaan land, remember Joshua is out there, he's on a reconnaissance, scoping things out, and there's somebody that meets him. He's called the captain of the Lord's host. Who was that? It was Jesus. And what did the captain say to Joshua? Take your shoes off. You are standing on holy ground. We sang about holiness this morning. When you walk in the favorable presence of Christ, when you fellowship with Christ, you're clothed in His righteousness, but you need to maintain by His Spirit a holy life. That's the only way fellowship is possible. You are in His holy presence. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to our theme verse, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 23. And this, is, this has been the theme that we've been looking at. And He brought us out, God brought us out from thence, that He might bring us in, into Canaan, to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. By the way, those are Moses' words before he is killed. He dies. All right, because he's not allowed to enter the promised land. I just read through Deuteronomy again. If you're reading through your Bible this year, you did too. All right, but this is what he, he states. The summary of all that we've been through is right here. So let's break it down. He brought us out. That's deliverance from Egypt. A mighty deliverance. That's the Christian salvation that he might bring us in, entering the promised land. Again, the Christian's victory through faith. And this morning, I'm going to give you a little heads up here. Where we're headed with this is there were a bunch of Israelites that didn't go into Canaan. Why? They wouldn't believe God. They lacked faith. Okay? So he wanted to bring them in. We'll see that. But those who did get to go in, it's because of faith. But what's in between? Well, it's the wilderness journey, the time of testing and trial, 
to reveal the heart. What needs to be revealed about the heart? Here it is. Listen. My heart wants to worship everything but God. And it wants to trust anything but God. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because I've lived in this tabernacle for my whole existence. Never mind how many years, okay? All right, I just turned 40. Now I have to confess that. Okay. Anyway, my natural tendency, my default, is flesh. Trust Mike. But in the spirit, if I'm yielded to Christ, I'm trusting him. As Brother Van Gelderen likes this word, the, the one yielding to Christ, that's glorious. But I will tell you, yielding to the flesh, that's something very different. All right, so what's the result of, of this, this journey? What is the Lord trying to do in that? Well, God's humbling process exposed Israel and help them see their true self. But here's, here's what's sad. After repeated opportunities, they refused to believe and did not enter the promised land. So sad. Now, wouldn't you think that if you saw God have a man take his staff and put it over a mighty body of water and split it down the middle and then dry the, the ground you're about to walk on, don't you think you'd just want to naturally follow that God. Amen. Or you need water. Well, let's look for a rock. Yeah, yeah. Speak, water. Hit the rock, water. Well, if God, you know, we're in a wilderness. If God can bring water gushing out of a rock, I'm going to follow that God. Oh, and by the way, we're getting hungry and it snows bread. Or if I want meat, he'll send the meat. Wouldn't you think that, that I'd follow that God? And oh, by the way, my clothes aren't wearing out, my shoes aren't wearing out. Okay, I'm going to follow this God. Nope. Their flesh would not, could not do that outside of faith. And by the way, neither can yours. Neither can yours. So that was the result. Now, over the past several weeks, we've learned about some dangers in this journey, some warning signs, okay? Here, here they are. We've already looked at one of the dangers, thinking that the wilderness is all there is to the Christian life. And, and Christians want to quit because <clears throat> after trial, after trial, after trial, <clears throat> an extended illness, cancer, whatever your ongoing trial is, Satan in your flesh wants you to believe that that's all there is. But faith has a completely different way of looking at it. Completely different. Remember the two ladies that the evangelist talked about who God used to bring, work through them, the revival in their lives to get a group of men praying and how God brought revival to those islands in Scotland. Remember that? Both had extended trials. Blindness, arthritis, crippling arthritis. Praise God that they saw past that, realized that God was still working. And in fact, I would submit to you, and if you go back and read their stories, you'll find this to be true. 
it was though that, those trials in their lives that brought the brokenness, that brought them to pray, and for God to do His mighty work. I would say this to those of you uh, who are our older saints here, our seasoned saints. There's a lot that as you get older, you're not going to be able to do in service to the Lord that you used to be able to do. But if, if you still have your consciousness and you can have a heart submitted to God and pray, you are as useful and effective as you've ever been in your life. So don't think that the wilderness is all there is to the Christian life, but that's a danger. Here's another one, failing to understand the breaking process. If the Lord's going to use us, He's going to have to break us. Peter's proof of that. Joseph is proof of that. And you can go on and on through the Scripture and see that. Why was David such a great king? Because for years God was molding him and breaking him. All right, now let's look at a third danger today. Responding with unbelief to the unbelief of others. Responding with unbelief to the unbelief in others. Now let's see how this plays out. But let me, let me give you the overall theme of what God wants us to get this morning. God can use the unbelief in others to help break you and strengthen your faith for the journey. He can. And nowhere is that more evident than in Numbers 13. And so let's go all the way back there now, if you would, please. Numbers 13, and I want to begin reading in verse 26. Now this is after the children of Israel, and the picture kind of helps remind us of this account. They come up to Kadesh Barnea. You realize that when God brought Israel out of Egypt, it was just a few weeks, and he did intend for them to enter the promised land. They needed to get his law. He needed to teach them some things about absolutely trusting him for everything. God did not fail them. He did everything they needed to have strengthened faith. But they get it, Kadesh Barnea. They send in spies. And you'll remember that they get in there and it's everything that God said it was going to be. A land flowing with what? Milk and honey. A picture of plenty. Okay? Uh, but there were enemies. Well, God had already warned them. If you go back, God had warned them about giants. Okay? So there, wasn't any, there weren't any surprises in there. But they go in, they scope out the land, and out of those spies, only two come back still believing that God can do what he said he would do. And so we pick up the reading in verse 26. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, or said unto them, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me, saying to them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do unto you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. I am in the wrong chapter. And somebody out there was praying, Lord, just show pastor that he's in the wrong place. 
Okay, God has answered your prayer. 13, verse 26. All right. They went up and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. I've made a note in my Bible right there. God already said that. So they are agreeing it is what God said. And this is the fruit of it. If you go back earlier, they cut down one bunch of grapes and it took two men with a staff to carry those grapes. Wow. But then I underline this word in verse 28, nevertheless. It's everything God said, but nevertheless... The people be too strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land in the south, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Let's just pause. There are enemies everywhere. Well, God told you that too. And oh, by the way, wherever you go in faith, God's there. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, now here's, here's the word of those who trust God. Here's Caleb. For we are well able to overcome it. Okay, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. Stop. Let me ask a question. Verse 31. Where's their focus? Is it heavenward? No. Now keep in mind, as they are saying these words, have you ever thought of this? There is a pillar of cloud over the tabernacle. But where's the focus? Not there. It's here. And they brought up an evil report of the land which had, uh, they had searched out, the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. So on a day where there ought to be rejoicing, we're about to go in and conquer their weeping. It was bitter weeping and doubting. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God... So why do you appeal to God when you're not trusting Him? Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in the wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? Now we could go on reading. For sake of time, I'll stop there. They confess. This is the land that God said he was going to provide for us. They admit he brought us out of Egypt, but he did so to kill us. 
There are Christians who are saved who acknowledge God miraculously saved me, but he must have saved me to make me miserable and play games with my life. That is flesh. That's not why God saved you. But he is going to use trials to break you, to get you to surrender to him, to get me to surrender to him. Now here's the wonderful truth. Do you know that God can use people like those unfaithful, doubting spies? God can use them to help break you and grow your faith. Have you ever thought about that? Well, boy, so-and-so complains and this, this has happened. They've gone against the Lord and, and this is discouraging. No, God can use them to help break and grow your faith. Consider this quote, Dr. Tony Miller, uh, faithful pastor, said this, God uses the imperfections of others to perfect me. And he uses the sin of others sinlessly to grow me. Say, Pastor, if you knew the marriage I was in, oh, you have an opportunity through whatever you're facing to have a dependent life and to see God use that to grow you. Consider this quote, Dr. Gary Hurth, another pastor, said this. Here's the fact. God will use the faults of other people to break us. Their faults are not God's will for them, but they are God's will for us. Our reaction to their faults reveals whether or not there is a problem, not in their life, okay, I'm inserting that, if there's a problem in our life. Now, I, I could take a poll this morning. How many of you have had a coworker, and it's really bad when it's a boss, who mistreats you, or a, the owner of a company who mistreats you? It's not fair. You might even get your walking papers. But there are those in this room this morning who know, you know what? God can use the faults of others to break me. And he can use their faults to reveal whether there's a problem in my life where I need to yield to the Lord. Now what does unbelief look like? We don't have to let the unbelief in others spawn unbelief in our hearts. In fact, God wants to use their unbelief to grow our faith, to grow our belief. But what does unbelief look like? Well, it looks like verbal acknowledgement of God, but heart rejection. I've already alluded to this. Look at Numbers 13 again and verse 27. We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. So they acknowledge the Lord, but they reject him. Go to Deuteronomy and look at uh, Deuteronomy 1 and verse 25. Deuteronomy 1, 25, And they took the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us. Moses, again, looking back on what had happened, and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Verbal acknowledgement of God, but heart rejection. That's what unbelief looks like. What else does it look like? Well, a willingness to accept the thinking of man over the word of God. A willingness to accept the thinking of man over the word of God. Back in Numbers chapter 13, 
Verse 28, nevertheless, the people be strong, they dwell in the land, the cities are walled, very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And you can just read on as they're, they're convincing themselves, they've already convinced themselves, and they're convincing the children of Israel, this is impossible. A willingness to accept that thinking over God. If you look at chapter 14 and verse 8, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. They're not going to eat us up. We're going to eat them up. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. We've already heard from Caleb. Those are the words of Joshua. We have nothing to fear. What a contrast in the two perspectives. Deuteronomy 1, you should read down in verse 26, Notwithstanding, ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord our God. God had commanded. Whatever God commands, he gives you the grace, the ability to fulfill. Israel couldn't see it. So what does unbelief look like? Consider Isaiah 29 and verse 13. Wherefore the Lord saith, For as much as this people draw nigh, or draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. Elevating man's word, man's opinion, man's fear, his perspective, over what God has said. Now, if you're not broken and humble, if I'm not broken and humble, I'm going to be swayed to listen to that. But if God has humbled me and he is in control of me, if I'm poor in spirit, oh, I'm going to be willing to yield to the Lord knowing his way is best. He knows. He has said it. I can trust him. He'll see it through. So what does unbelief look like? We've already looked at, at two parts of this. Verbal acknowledgement of God, but heart rejection. Willingness to accept the thinking of man over the word of God. But watch this. Tolerance of faithful leadership that often turns into open defiance at Kedesh Barnea. So as you read on in Numbers chapter 14, what you discover is they're determined to destroy now. I mean, they, they would complain to Moses. They would disagree with Moses. But now they're ready to stone him and Joshua and Caleb uh, as well. So how should our faith respond to unbelief? Again, you have to approach this from a broken heart in utter dependence upon God, yielding to the Spirit of God so that Christ can shine through you. No one faced opposition like Jesus faced. Right? What does the, what does the New Testament tell us? Consider the contradiction of sinners against Him. Every turn. More opposition. Question, did Jesus fulfill the will of the Father? 
Okay? Who was Jesus depending on? Who was he depending on? Came down in the form of a dove. Spirit. Who indwells you? Same spirit. Do you get it? Did Jesus face any unbelief? All the time. Oh, ye of little. He said it over and over. Unbelief. From people who watched him raise the dead, heal the sick, feed the thousands, and walk on water. Slow to believe. What was needed? Brokenness and then yieldedness to the Spirit. So, how does faith respond to unbelief? First, it expresses open confidence in God's unfailing power. I love verse 30 of chapter 13. Look at it. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, so what did, wait, he's saying, hey, wait, 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 hold it, stop. Listen to me. He settled them and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Open confidence in God's unfailing power. That's how faith responds. Sometimes you need to say that publicly in front of people. Is God's hand, well, well wait a minute, oh, hold on. Is God's hand shortened that it cannot save? Sometimes you need to have that conversation with your own heart. Mike, what is your problem? Who is your God? The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses? Joshua, that's your God. Oh, that will, that'll give unbelief a good swift kick. Oh, express open confidence. Secondly, humble yourself. Here it is again, in the presence of unbelief, asking God for deliverance. This wasn't just self-confidence on the part of these leaders in Israel, Caleb, Joshua, Moses. Instead, look at chapter 14 and verse 5. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Now later, Moses will get angry and strike a rock, but not here. He's doing it right here. He submits to God. Humbly, uh, humble yourself in the presence of unbelief, asking God to deliver. And then thirdly, recognize the great danger of unbelief in lives that practice it. Chapter 14 and verse 6, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the uh, son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Why they do that? Well, they were afraid for their lives. Oh, no, no, no. They were afraid that Israel was going to offend God. What are you all saying and thinking? We need to recognize that danger. We need to stand up and be willing to just say to others who may be influencing the faith of others, say, you know what, this is just unbelief. This is unbelief. Now, how does faith respond to unbelief? The J. Jamison Fawcett and Brown commentary says this, Joshua and Caleb show their grief and horror 
again, the renting of the clothes, at the mutiny against Moses and the blasphemy against God. At the same time, they endeavored to persuade the people to obtain possession of God's promise by faith, provided they do not, by their rebellion and ingratitude, provoke God to abandon them. Now, I'm so thankful for a Christian, God won't abandon us. But you know what? We can walk away. And here, God said, all right, and you, you know what happened. God said, you won't go up. You're not going in. You're going to wander in the wilderness until everybody 20 years old and younger, their carcasses fall in the wilderness. By the way, the generation that followed got to go into Canaan. Why? Because God used a lesson as they wandered around out there what was happening the next generation got to watch their parents their their parents and their grandparents die for unbelief that gave them the convincement to say all right Joshua we're following you into Canaan God actually used the unbelief of the parents to convince the younger generation only God can do that and they were ready to go in So how does faith respond to unbelief? In meekness, first go to God and then to others in unbelief. I love 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. What is Paul's telling Timothy, a young preacher, this is what you need to do for believers who are in unbelief. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Not God's, his will. Now what are the rewards of turning from unbelief? What are the rewards? And we'll close with this today. Our whole attitude will change when we see that God is using hard situations and or people to reveal our sin and break us. Our whole attitude will change. Some people want to quit. Well, if this is how everybody's going to be, well, I'm, you know, and they want to stop faith's journey. Don't let the unbelief of others do that. It's, it's as real as this. There may be, and I, I don't think this, this is, is happening here. I have no reason to think this, okay? But there may be uh, some, and I do know this has happened in other churches. Brother Van Gelderen and I talked about it. I've seen it myself. Where there's teaching on the Holy Spirit and Christians in unbelief resist that. Well, it's new. I hadn't heard that before. I, you know, so, uh, you know, fear of charismaticism, strange fire, whatever. And so in unbelief, well, that's, that's kind of new to me. I don't remember. So they will pull back. All right? Have the attitude, okay, that God uses hard situations. And, and people even that are resistant, Lord, the Lord can use that to help you grow in faith. And then number two, our whole perspective will change when we have a heart that is right with God and others, causing us to see that God is preparing 
us to enter the abundant life through faith. When you get to Acts chapter 2 and you see they're in the upper room, and by the way, they're praying. Prayer always precedes revival. Holy Spirit comes, they have revival. A reviving. But what did God use so that those disciples knew that they needed to stay in that upper room and wait for the promise of the Spirit? Well, because they had failed. When Jesus needed them the most in their flesh, they ran for the hills. But then Jesus comes back and he ministers forgiveness, right? I haven't given up on you. I know you ran from me. Forgiven? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. The Lord meets with them, assures them of his love, strengthens their faith. But those were men who knew we need the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we'll run. And so they were, they were ready. It affected their perspective. And that will change in our lives when we have a heart that is right with God, others causing us to see that God is preparing us for abundant life. And so as we close this morning, the one thing that I'm burdened about that, that could happen, the failure in another believer's life. You get excited about the revival that, that you've had. Oh, I see, I've seen things about my life in Christ that I hadn't seen before. And, and you're walking with the Lord and you're living independent, in, in independence <laughs> uh, on the Spirit of God. And then some Christian says, well, that evangelist, he sure preached a long time. Or, what'd you think? I, man, I hadn't heard that before. Or whatever. Unbelief. Or the failure of a Christian in your life. Or as you're encouraged in the Lord now, something happens at work. Something happens in your family. Something happens with your health. It's not an accident. And God can even use the wiles of Satan to help break you and to get you to look to Jesus and depend on him more. May that be our hearts before God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the breaking process. Oh, how hard. And Lord, we can so easily look at the waves. We can be walking on water, but see the waves and go down. But not if we keep our eyes on Jesus, looking unto you, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to walk by faith. Lord, keep us from unbelief. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. And Father, help us to live every day with reiterated steps of dependence upon your Spirit. Realizing that, Lord Jesus, you can shine through us. You want to shine through us. You want to do your work through us. But as soon as we look to ourselves for answers, for strength, for our own wisdom, Father, that's unbelief. Lord, if we'll keep our eyes on you, we won't put our eyes on others who can easily discourage us 
in the journey of faith. We ask that you'll give us your insights and help us to live by these truths in Jesus' name. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 488 3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.